Welcome to the Let's Talk About Care podcast. From carehome.co.uk and homecare.co.uk, the leading reviews websites for care homes and home care. Hi there, it's Jill here and welcome to another Let's Talk About Care podcast. In this episode, I talk to Carrie Gersthimer, who is the founder and chief executive of the charity Access Social Care, which provides legal advice and support to individuals who just aren't getting the care they need and aims to ensure everyone has access to legal aid and the justice they deserve. Here, Carrie talks about why she set up the charity, the problems people have with accessing justice when it comes to health and social care, and she also talks about why there is a lack of signposting for people when they need to find help and how the current government plans are inadequate and how this can be fixed. I hope you find it as insightful as I did, and thanks for listening. Let's Talk About Care podcast. Oh, hi, Carrie, and thanks ever so much for joining us on the Let's Talk About Care podcast. Um, you are the founder and chief executive for Access Social Care. Can you tell us what Access Social Care is and what exactly you do? Of course. Um, and hello. Thanks for Hiya. having me on the, on the podcast today. Um, so Access Social Care provides free legal advice and information for older and disabled people with social care needs. So our aim is to help people achieve a better quality of life. Um, and our charity, I think, saves lives, helps keep families together and makes lives worth living. Um, we connect our legal expertise to other organisations and the people that they help via a membership model. So helplines and social care providing organisations pay a membership fee and we provide a service back to them. Um, we, as I said, provide free legal advice and we work with communities and our members to help increase knowledge of the law and rights. All right. Thanks for that. And how many people have you helped since the, since the charity started? On an average, how many people do you help per year? So we, um, we launched and started operating on the 1st of April 2020, right at the start of the pandemic oh. in that first <laughs> lockdown. Um, but um, I think really the numbers speak for themselves. So we help mm. directly about 1,000 people a year um, and um, indirectly are really hundreds of thousands. But I would say that we know that that's not enough. So we know that every day millions of people older people and disabled people are going without the social care they need and um, so the need for our service is absolutely vast yeah because I, I was just thinking about this now when you when you were saying that there is so many stories behind nearly every door that you come across where someone hasn't been able to access social care um what steps do you go through to help someone receive the correct social care that they need if someone comes to you so if somebody's referred to us what by one of our member organizations the first thing we'll do is have a conversation mm -hmm. and sometimes it's just a one-off piece of advice that people need but sometimes we'll need to take that case on and, and provide casework Court. So we have about 15 lawyers in our legal team. We also have about 150 brilliant legal volunteers who are um, a mixture of barristers who are experts in the field of law that we work in, but also solicitors who are um, 
commercial lawyers offering their time for free and we supervise, we train them and supervise their work out to help us give advice to people. Um, and we do casework, end-to-end casework. We've got a 98% success rate with our cases, which I think um, obviously tells you that my legal team are brilliant, mm. um, but it also does tell you something about the quality of decision-making. Yeah. And um, what's the best way for, is, is it for the public to get help from yourselves? How, how, how can they get, how can you advertise that, you know, where to go? There's not really any signposting, is there? Sure. So um, at the moment, we provide a service through our membership model. So if you are connected to one of our member organisations, then they can refer your case through to us. It's definitely our ambition to have a public facing access to our legal team. But at the moment, we don't have enough funding to do that. We're working hard to grow. Mm -hmm. um, and, And that would definitely be our ambition. At the moment, the way that public can access support from us is via a chatbot which is on our website so um, we've developed this this piece of legal tech and it's sort of an online robot that you can ask questions of and it will give you free legal information and also take you to um, legal letters that you can personalize within the chatbot technology ready to send off to the public body to ask for your needs to be met. What effect does a lack of access to legal aid have on the population? And also, why are vulnerable groups more affected than the general population, do you think, Carrie? So um, just to kind of give you a picture, um, Mm. there are enormous problems with access to justice when it comes to health and social care in this country. So since 2010, there's been a 77% reduction in the number of cases taken on by legal aid lawyers for community care. Now, what that means, and and I should explain that the the reasons for that are complex, but but really in short, what it's to do with is that um, the the cases are loss-making for legal aid lawyers. They can't afford to take these cases on. And so they're not taking them on. And so um, even if you're really capable and you know what your rights are, it's extraordinarily difficult to find a lawyer to help you. And that affects people in many different ways. I think that there has been research which shows that without that accountability, um, it means that the balance of powers aren't working. And it means that public bodies can make unlawful decisions without being accountable to, to correct them. Now, I don't think that people go into public service to act unlawfully, but at the same time, I think that if that um, incentive to correct wrongs um, isn't there, then it causes problems. And we've, we've seen through academic research that, that a lack of access to justice can worsen first instance decision-making. Um, So when it comes to access to social care and access to justice, um, it is often people who have experience of health and social care inequalities, um, whether that's racialised communities or people with um, a learning disability, for example, who will experience more difficulty with accessing both health and social care and accessing a solicitor. And that's to do with communication, it's to do with discrimination and unconscious bias. Um, and and it's also to do with a lack of trust that um, has has arisen with those communities. 
Mm, sad, isn't it? Can you give me some examples of people who've struggled to get social care? Yes, of course. So um, we sometimes that the problem is no support. So we helped a 90 year old with dementia who needed prompting to ensure that she remembered to wash, dress and feed herself. Mm. But because she was physically able, the authorities said she didn't need any help. So she was left hungry and in soiled clothing. Sometimes it's the wrong support. So we had an 18 year old who had to give up her degree because she was trapped in hospital for 18 months when all she needed to go home was, was an accessible bathroom. And sometimes the support comes too late, like the 15 year old that we helped who just needed a few hours of help a week, but instead ended up in an inpatient mental health unit, over medicated, restrained and hundreds of miles away from his mum and dad. And I would say that the cases that we work on can be so harrowing that we fundraise the counselling support for our lawyers. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, and with with those cases, the, you obviously won these cases. And um, so, for those, so for example, following on with a 15 year old who was taken hundreds of miles away, was that successful? And so we have sadly a, a number of these cases. We work very closely with MENCAP and with the National Autistic Society on cases which are um, where people with a learning disability and or autism are placed, unfortunately, in mental health units under section. It can be very, very difficult to get people out mm. of these units once they're in them. The average stay is about five years. Um, and we know that they're not suitable placements for people with a learning disability and autism. Um, we do have success. Um, we, we've um, recently had some lovely success stories with getting people out who have been in these units for very many years. Um, but those are some of the most complex and um, difficult cases that we work on. Right. OK, then. And um, what are the common challenges um, that member of the public face when trying to get social care? So I think that um, what we see is that at every stage of trying to access social care, there are problems. So the first stage, sort of the gateway into the social care system is getting an assessment. Um, we know that there are over 500,000 people at the moment waiting for an assessment, just sat on a waiting list. Um, and in many of those instances, that's not lawful. Um, then there might be problems with the quality of the assessment. Um, it might be that the assessment's been conducted without an advocate present. Um, we then see problems with the eligibility assessment. So local authorities um, can't afford to provide social care to everyone. So they ration care using what's called an eligibility, the eligibility criteria. Um, we will often see that the eligibility criteria hasn't been applied lawfully. We see problems with charging increasingly. Again, this is relating to local authorities just not having enough money to pay for care. Um, and they have charging policies which aren't lawful or which aren't applied correctly. Um, and then we have problems with care planning. So people's identified and assessed needs not being met adequately through the care package that's been put in place. Hmm. And also signposting as well. You know, the more I'm, 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 I'm writing and doing these podcasts regarding social care, I'm constantly hearing the lack of signposting once someone is diagnosed with, say, dementia or needing extra social care. They just haven't, hasn't got that in place, has it? 
that's right. It's very difficult, you know, and often people are um, entering the social care system or trying to enter the social care system when the family is in crisis. Mm. And so you're looking for information, which is really complex to navigate um, at a time when you might be very distressed, which obviously then impedes your ability to access information. Um, And I, I would say that, again, you know, local authorities are struggling with finances the estimate I think by the health foundation is that there's a seven billion pound shortfall this year in social care funding Um, and so in a way they they need to keep people out of the system and and one of the only ways that they can do that is if people don't know about their rights so it's not really that surprising that we're seeing people struggling to access information about what their rights are mm, but but at the same time you know the the, the the human and like what you say by the time they do enter the social care system it's a crisis this is not planned is it it's uh, yeah it's 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 not like you know planning something in the future no one ever wants to do that do they no that's right and uh, you know it's interesting isn't it because for many of us disability can feel quite a long way away from our reality Mm. but but the reality is that by the time we're retirement age 50% of us will be disabled so most of us will need social care either for ourselves or for a loved one in our lifetime. What would you like the next Prime Minister to do in terms of fixing social care that you know can help you guys as well? Gosh, there's so much I would like to say to the new Prime Minister. So I, I think Go fundamentally, it, <laughs> fundamentally, social care needs more money. The current settlement is woefully inadequate mm-hmm. um, and inflationary cost increases have simply made things worse. I've, I've already mentioned that the Health Foundation estimates that this year the shortfall is 7 billion. Um, it's estimated that by 2030, the sh- annual shortfall will be 13 billion. Then on the ground, what that translates to is an absolute tsunami of unmet need. And it's simply not the case that ignoring it will make it go away. So people who don't have their social care needs met will pop up somewhere else in the state system, whether that's the healthcare system or the criminal justice justice system. Um, So I I would urge the next Prime Minister to look at social care as a matter of urgency. This is about efficient use of taxpayers' money, um, because if you don't get in early and provide a few hours of social care support, you're creating an absolute nightmare for for future, um, whether that's future generations or just within somebody's, um, you know, few years. Um, we, we see that all the time. We see cases where people just needed a couple of hours of support and when it's not given, people will end up in, in you know, mental health units or in critical care. Um, the second thing I would say is that one of the most important issues now is workforce. Mm-hmm. The media is reporting that there's one of the worst NHS staffing crises in history. And there's about 40,000 nurses and 8,000 doctors um, within that shortage. For social care, there are over 165,000 vacancies. 
social care providers are handing back contracts because they can't staff their services so that and, and so they're unsafe and we've heard from our members that in some areas when they've tried to give back their contracts the local authority won't take the contract back because they know they can't staff it either oh. so the, the, the government plans are inadequate and those of us who work in social care have never seen it this bad I think um, you know we, we really do need uh, uh, the government to seize this moment I would actually uh, say this is the time to take the political sting out of social care our political parties need to work together to find a solution um, it's, it's too urgent to ignore and as a society we are being let down yeah, we are, definitely. Um, do you think the um, reason the national insurance is going to help at all when that comes in it next year? Or do you think this is just a sticking plaster? Well, I think the, the worry is that um, I think one of the um, people that's running for the leadership is, is saying that they will take that levy away. Um, and I mean, I, th I think there has been a guarantee that the money will still stay. But, but I think it's what what I would say is only a fraction of that money is going to go to social care. Um, and it won't even cover the cost of the reforms. So the local government association is already sounding the alarm saying that the mathematical calculations are not correct. There's about 5.6 billion um, of that settlement over three years that will go to social care. I've already told you there's a seven billion pound um, shortfall this year alone. So mm. it's just not going to touch the size. I know that these figures sound enormous, but the reality is we've gotten ourselves into such a bad situation with social care that we're going to need something really radical if we are going to um, continue to meet the legal obligations that are contained in the, in the Care Act. Mm. Yeah, this is it. Did you find um, that when you first started the charity, but there was more phone calls there because of the COVID situation. Did you find it escalating a lot more because of the people who needed you more because of isolation, which has affected a lot of a lot of the public as well? How did you so, find that? Um, so at Access Social Care, we lead a data project which takes um, data from a range of national helplines, including Age UK, including, of course, our data, MENCAP data, Carers UK's data. Um, and we combine that data to, to look at patterns of advice demand across the country. And what we've seen is really shocking. So absolutely, yes, during the pandemic, calls from carers into helplines increased by about 400%. Jeez. But for me, one of the more worrying things is that calls today have not settled down to pre-pandemic levels. In fact, in many areas, they're about 100% higher. Mm. And, um, and, you know, helplines helpline, resources have not increased at the same rate. People are desperate for information and advice. They are desperate for social care and they know that um, they're not having their needs met. And so they're calling helplines looking for help. And, uh, unfortunately, um, there's been an increase in the number of people calling helplines who need legal advice. And, uh, and we know, as, as I've explained, that there's, there's just not enough people. Um, there's a national shortage of community care lawyers. Um, so the, the need is, is, is vast. 
I'm going to talk a little bit about you now. So what was, because you trained as a human rights lawyer, didn't you, initially? So what made you transition to social care? So social care for me is all about human rights. The lawyers that access social care use the Human Rights Act every single day, whether that's about the right to family life, the right to be free from inhumane treatment or the right to liberty, for example, the right not to be locked in a room. At Access, we're really concerned about the proposed changes to the Human Rights Act and the proposed Bill of Rights or the Bill of Wrongs, as we quite like to call it, um, which proposes really fundamental changes to our constitution that will affect all of us. Um, and I know that, you know, there's so many things happening at the moment um, across the country with politics, but I would urge people not to ignore um, what's happening with, with the proposed changes to the Human Rights Act. It's a really, really important issue for us. So can you give some examples of what changes are going to, the, the government are proposing? So one of the proposed changes, I mean, what um, is uh, really clear in the Human Rights Act is that we're all equal before the law. So no matter what has happened, what you've done in your past, you have an equal right to the human rights that are within the Act. One of the changes that the government's proposing is to, um, is to make rights contingent upon responsibilities. Now, if I give you an example, um, that might mean that a young person with a learning disability who has it displayed distressed behaviour because they haven't been having their needs met. They may have been, that behaviour might have been criminalised. We don't think that that's correct, but that happens. Um, because they've been criminalised, they may have some of their rights removed. Um, and for me, that, that's really scary. We all should be equal before the law. Mm. Um, and this, um, the, the proposed changes to our constitution need to be very carefully thought through. My worry is that it's being rushed through without a thought about the consequences. And a lot of the, um, it feels like a culture war and it feels like it's very much focused on issues like immigration without thinking about how important human rights are for all of us. And social care is a really good example of, um, of why we need to protect and fight for those human rights as a society. Have we actually um, spoken to the government about, about your worries? So we're part of a group of, um, of, of organisations, including Liberty and the British Institute of Human Rights that are working on this issue. Oh. We will be doing sessions um, for um, social care providing organisations and people in the social care sector to learn a little bit more about um, what this means so if, if people are interested then please do contact us via our website brilliant and finally what was your light bulb moment that made you decide to set up the charity um gosh so i used to run um the legal team at sense which is a national deaf um, blind charity um and unfortunately because of funding pressures Sense had to close the information and advice service and the legal service. And that's something that's happened in many different organisations at the same time as the cuts to legal aid. When that happened, I felt absolutely passionately that we had to try and save the service. Um, so I reached out. I had an idea that if everybody were to put a little bit of money in the pot, we could 
save the service and make sure that the service was available for everyone with social care needs. So I reached out to a group of chief executives, um, gosh, it would have been about 10 years ago now, nine or, um, nine or 10 years ago. I was very fortunate that I spoke to Jan Tregellis, who was then the chief executive of MenCap. Jan invited me to come to MenCap with my team um, and start piloting that idea. So with MenCap's help, we, um, we did indeed incubate what is now Access Social Care and Jan Tregellis happily is now my chair. Oh, that's brilliant. And long may it rain and continue for everyone as well. Oh, listen, Carrie, thank you ever so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been really lovely and a really good insight into what you guys do. And good luck for the future. And you're doing a brilliant job. Thank you. Thanks so much. The Let's Talk About Care podcast. It was really insightful speaking to Carrie and she really brought a sense of reality of how difficult it is for some people to access social care. According to the Association of Directors of Adult Social Services, or ADAS, as many as 600 people a day are joining a growing waiting list just to be assessed for care and support in England, meaning that almost 300,000 people are now waiting for an assessment of their needs. This is an increase of 90,000 or 44% in five months. ADAS are now warning at this rate of increase, the number of waiting will hit 400,000 by November. This is double the total since November 2021. I really do hope that the next Prime Minister takes action to fix the key issues facing the social care sector, including funding and workforce. Thanks for listening and see you next time. From carehome.co.uk and homecare.co.uk, the leading reviews websites for care homes and home care.